Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Over the last six months, I've been thinking a lot about what's been revealed during this COVID pandemic. I've been thinking a lot about what I've learned about my life, about myself, about the nature of my relationships, what I've learned about this community and what I've learned about our nation and our world. My question for you this morning is, over the last six months, what's been revealed to you? What have you discovered or uncovered? What have you learned about your values or the nature of your relationships? What's been hard and what's been easy during this season? I think there is something that we can learn from all of the adversity that we've come through over the last six months. Now, that's not to say that the adversity and the challenge is over, but I think it's important that in the midst of all of this, at least six months in, that we stop and reflect. We begin to evaluate and analyze what it is that we've revealed about ourselves, what it is that we've learned about the nature of our relationships. Maybe you've learned something important about the person that you're married to that you would have never otherwise learned. Maybe you learned something about, you know, the dynamic with your children or the nature of your friend group or something that has shifted or changed in ways that you never could have foresaw or predicted. There's something about this season that has revealed so much. As I look across our nation and world, I see you know, this revelation of some significant divides and division, disagreements, lack of perspective or understanding about the way each other lived that I think is significant. That I think that maybe in ways that we understood, we didn't understand the intensity and the severity of until it's been revealed to us over the last six months. I think we've learned a lot about the, the language of the news and the media and the way that they contribute to some of this division. I think some of that has been new to me. Maybe you've already recognized this, but over the last six months, I've, it's been revealed to me just what all of this you know, animosity and you know, frustration and struggle, what it has done to us as a people, what it has done to us as a society, and what it has done to us as individuals. I'm not sure that we could have learned all of that if we had not gone through this last six-month period, if we had not gone through you know, all of this challenge and all of this difficulty. I think there's something in the furnace of adversity that clarifies things, that reveals things. You are able to learn more about yourself than in periods of peace and tranquility. There's something about struggling and overcoming obstacles and adversity that helps you learn more about yourself, helps you learn more about the people around you, helps you learn more about the world in which you live in. I think it's important that we begin to talk about this, we begin to evaluate this and you know, we look at how do we move forward from this place. There's been an interesting phrase that has popped up kind of to my attention over the last several weeks. It's kind of been in relationship to uh, sports returning on, onto television. Thankfully, we now have something to watch other than Netflix, and it's so good to have sports on TV just for that sense of normalcy, just for that sense of routine and familiarity that they bring to us. And in particular, I've been watching the NBA, and as we've moved into the NBA playoffs, there's been a lot of challenge and adversity for these players because the stakes are so much greater. The games matter because if you lose, you go home. You're no longer able to achieve the championship that you know, the whole team sets out 
to achieve at the beginning of the season. There's one singular focus, one singular purpose in playing on these NBA teams. For these players, it's to win a championship. And so when you lose in the playoffs, it matters. And so the stakes are really high. The competition is really high because these are the best of the best teams that are still remaining. And so what I've been interested in is this phrase made for this moment that I've heard players talk about. I've heard media and analysts begin to discuss about which players are actually made for this moment, which players have what they need to have, are made of the right stuff, the, the right substance to succeed when things get the most difficult, when the competition is the highest, when the lights are the brightest, when the stage is the biggest. And so some of the more famous players that have lost uh, earlier in the playoffs than maybe analysts or the players and the teams themselves had anticipated or predicted, there starts to be this murmuring and this discussion about, oh, does so-and-so, do they have it? Are they, are they a championship caliber player? Could you ever win with so-and-so as your best player? A lot of this discussion. And so you start to see these phrasings and these hashtags being created about built for it or made for this moment. And I think it's an interesting concept to think about what would it look like to be made for this moment? Not the NBA, but for the moment that we find ourselves in right now. What would it look like to be the type of person who is made precisely for this moment? Somebody who is able to handle all the adversity, who gets stronger and better because of the obstacles that we've faced and that we will continue to face. What would it look like to be the type of person who's made for this moment? Now, the difficulty and the challenge in thinking about how we could begin to be made for this moment is this moment feels um, so unpredictable. We never foresaw that we could come to this place. We never anticipated that we would go through a global pandemic. We never anticipated all the ways that our lives would change. You never foresaw all the disruptions into your routine and the familiarity of your day-to-day -day schedule, kids being at school or not being at school, virtual learning, and all of the ways that our world has shifted. We never foresaw the anticipation that we would all have to wear masks when we go out into public or we shop at stores. None of this we could foresee. So how could somebody ever be made for this moment when we couldn't see this moment coming? Well, if you were a student of history, you recognize that this is not the first moment like this that we have ever experienced. This is not the first moment like this where a group of people have had to navigate unbelievable adversity, where a group of people have ever had to navigate a plague or a pandemic or any type of difficulty or struggling. This isn't the first moment we've had like this. And so my guess would be that there's a lot for us to learn about the way other people have navigated their moments that we might be able to learn about how we could be made for this moment and how we could continue to navigate this moment with skill, with grace, with ease, with confidence that no matter what happened, we would be able to get through it. See, we can be made for this moment and for all of the moments that will come. This may not be the last thing that we have to navigate. Six months from now, six years from now, 60 years from now, who knows what is down the road? And so how do we begin to construct and live a life that allows us to be made for any moment that we ever face? Well, fortunately for us, there's a letter written to a group of Christians who had to answer this same question. They had to navigate what it meant to be made for the moment that they found themselves in. And there are some significant differences in the moment that they were navigating, but it felt 
my guess would be in many ways the same as this moment that we found ourselves in today. Now, specifically, I'm talking about a group of Christians who live some 20, 30 years after Jesus's life. This is a group of Christians who were scattered all across kind of um, parts of what was called kind of Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey. This is a group of Christians who were once all collected into churches, but then had to be scattered because of the persecution that they faced and because of all of the adversity they were experiencing at the hands of the Greek and the Roman neighbors that they lived around. See, Christians were not popular in that day and time, and so because of that, they were persecuted, they were criticized, they were condemned and ostracized. And so there was this kind of great diaspora, this great scattering of Christians all around the world. And so they weren't actually able to gather together in the ways that they were used to gathering. They weren't able to come together into church the way that they had been. In many ways, it's very familiar to what we were navigating and have been navigating today. This group of Christians who had to be separated from each other and from the relationships that were so important and helpful to them. And so we're going to be looking at the letter from 1 Peter. This is Peter, Jesus' disciple. This is Peter who Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. Peter is the first person to recognize Jesus as Messiah and Lord. And Peter is also the one who denied Jesus three times as Jesus was being arrested. This is that same Peter. And so this is a couple decades after Jesus's life. And so Peter is writing to a group of churches and he's sending them a letter. And the hope is of this letter that they will pass it around to all of the different Christians all throughout kind of Asia Minor, all throughout this area and region in the hopes that he can encourage them, that he can remind them that despite all of the adversity, despite all of the persecution, despite all of the obstacles and trials that they're experiencing, that they are actually made for this moment. And he gives them some clues and insight as to how they know that they're made for this moment and what it looks like to live a life that's made for the moment that they find themselves in. And so I think by sharing and walking through part of this passage this morning, it will give us maybe some understanding about how maybe we too can be made for this moment and we can live a life that's made for all of the future moments that we'll experience. So this morning I want to read to you from the letter 1 Peter. We're going to be in the first chapter and in the first verse. So if you're with us and you're on our online platform, there's a way that you can click the little Bible tab. They'll help you navigate to 1 Peter. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, and this is what Peter says. To God's chosen exiles in the world of the diaspora, the scattering, who live in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father chose you because of what he knew beforehand. He chose you through the Holy Spirit's work of making you holy and because of the faithful obedience and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter is using some really intentional language here that I want to point out to us. He calls them God's chosen exiles. This is not just a haphazard phrase. This is a phrase to help them connect themselves to the lineage of kind of the Jewish faith to help them recognize that they too in many ways are like the exiles that came out of Egypt, that were moving towards the promised land that connected them to the tradition and the faith of Jesus. So listen, I know that you're Greek. I know that you aren't Jewish by, by heritage or by birth, that you're adopting this Christian religion, that you are a new follower of Jesus. But listen, you're a part of a long lineage of people who've come before you who have learned how to navigate difficult moments. Now, for us today, 
We spent 12 weeks walking through the book and the story of Exodus, recognizing how God calls his people out of challenge and adversity to navigate the unknown, to move into a new and a better place. And so what Peter is saying to this group of Christians is saying, listen, you're a part of that same story. I think he would be saying the same things to us today. Listen, we are a part of that same story. We are God's chosen exiles in the world of all that has been scattered. I mean, what a perfect description of where we find ourselves this morning. God's chosen exiles in a world where everyone has been scattered. Everyone has been separated. Everyone has been isolated from each other. And he goes on, he says, he chose you through the Holy Spirit's work of making you holy. Basically, he's saying you have been chosen by God for this moment. In effect, God has created you for this moment. You are made for this moment. And so then Peter goes on. He says, may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. On account of God's vast mercy, he's given us a new birth. You have been born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have a pure and enduring inheritance that cannot perish an inheritance that is presently kept safe in heaven for you. So what he's saying here is basically you've been born into a new family. No matter what your origin is, no matter what your history is, no matter what your background is, because of Jesus Christ, you have the opportunity to be a, new, to be a part of God's new family that God has created here on this earth. And this new family has a hope in a new world founded on God's love. And so what Peter's saying is, listen, all the things that you trusted in before, all the things that you hoped in before, all of the ways that you kind of hoped that you could build your life so that it would lead to a certain outcome or a certain place. Listen, you're part of a new family now and the hope that you should have, the hope that you should have is on a future where the world is founded on God's love. I think that's the same thing that he would tell us today. That listen, our hope in this life should not be that nothing bad ever happens. Our hope in this life should not be that we get everything that we want, that our kids make great grades and get into all the schools that they want, that their sports teams never lose, or that we have the house that we want, or we have the perfect relationships in our lives. Those are not the things that we should be hoping on. No, 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 God has chosen us for this moment. He's made us for this moment. He's created us and drawn us into a new family. And the identity of that family is based on our hope in Jesus Christ. That one day this world will look like heaven, that heaven will come down to earth, that we can live in this place in a world that is founded on God's love. That is the sole hope that we should have. It should not be that we'll never get sick and die. It should not be that we're able to avoid any setback or difficulty, that we would always have the perfect job or that we would always even have a job. Those are not the things that we're supposed to be hoping on as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's not what's promised to us. That's not what's promised to us. What's promised to us is that we have a hope in Jesus Christ because of his resurrection, that there can be new life, both in this life and in the next. And so that should fill us with confidence. That should fill us with encouragement. And as we'll see what Peter says, that should be enough to help us navigate any of the adversity, any of the setbacks, and any of the trials that we experience in this life. So starting with verse six, Peter goes on. He says, rejoice in this hope, even if it's necessary for you to suffer. And even if it's necessary for you to be distressed for a short time because of various trials. Listen, 
The hope should be enough to get you through all of the adversity. The hope is gonna be enough to get you through all of the obstacles and all of the setbacks and all of the trials and all of the suffering that you'll experience. And it's gonna be okay. It's not saying that you're never gonna go through hard things. It's not saying that we in this place won't ever go through hard things again, but it's saying that we can trust in and we can rejoice in the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he creates this kind of, this, this interesting metaphor. He says, pure gold put in the fire comes out proved pure. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the way that people determine the purity of gold. I had to actually look this up because I was ignorant to it too. But uh, basically the kind of the carat rating system of gold determines the quality and the purity of gold. There are 24 parts to a carat. And so if gold is 18 carat gold, it means 18 of the 24 parts are gold. And then the other six parts would be some other type of metal. And so it would create this kind of gold alloy um, that you could then shape and mold and form into jewelry or whatever it is. 12 karat gold, 12 parts are gold, 12 parts are metal. 24 karat gold is pure gold. And so the way that you determine what percentage of the gold is pure is you take the item, whether it's a ring or an earring or a watch or whatever the gold substance is, the gold alloy is, and you put it in a, in a furnace. You put it in a crucible and you heat it up really, really hot. Like we're talking like 2000 degrees um, Fahrenheit. So this unbelievable amount of heat. And what that heat does is it begins to separate all of the metals from each other. And so the gold separates into its own little kind of bead. And then all of the other different types of metals, they separate into their own bead, but it's in the crucible. It's in that really hot furnace that you become aware of just how pure the gold is. Now, so what's Peter saying here? He's saying pure gold put in the fire comes out proved pure. It's after it goes through the fire that you have some awareness of just how pure the gold is. He says the same thing is true with our faith. Now, instead of the fire, it's adversity, it's challenge, it's the difficulty that we've seen over the last six months. Peter's telling this group of persecuted Christians scattered away from each other that, listen, genuine faith put through suffering comes out proved genuine. Your genuine faith will result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, listen, all that you're going through, all of the struggle, all of the heartache, all of the setback, all of the difficulty and the trials, it's gonna allow your faith to be proved to be genuine or not. You're gonna know what percentage of purity you have in your faith. Maybe you've got a 12 carat faith. Maybe you've got an 18 carat faith. Maybe you have a 24 carat faith. But Peter says, listen, this adversity that you're experiencing right now, it's gonna help you realize just how genuine your faith is. And when your faith is proved to be genuine, when it's proved to be pure, that's gonna draw so many people to God. That's gonna help Jesus Christ be revealed in the world. Now think about it. For people who are suffering, who are struggling, who are navigating persecution, in a way, it's a strange gift because it helps you know just how real your faith is. It helps you recognize, like Peter says, that genuine faith will be, pu will be proved pu pure and genuine. There's something about the adversity that we face in this life, similar to the crucible that gold finds itself in, that burns away all of the impurities. 
the more difficult the circumstances that we go through, the more we come to trust and need and depend on the grace and mercy and goodness of God. If you've ever walked with a family or with loved ones or yourself and your family have navigated the death of a loved one, you recognize that in those moments, you depend on one another more. You're kinder, you're more gracious, you're you know, more prayerful, my, my guess would be, because the circumstances have changed. The moment has changed. It's gotten more significant, more dire, more difficult. It's in those difficult moments that you, you know, become aware of the purity of your faith, how genuine your faith is, and it draws you towards God. As a pastor of a church, it is often through kind of these pivotal circumstances, through these difficult moments that I see so many people kind of come to a renewed sense of their faith in Jesus Christ, to a renewed sense of their understanding of what it means to live a life as a follower of him, a renewed commitment to loving their family differently. These difficult moments, they're like a crucible. They cause the kind of the bad and the old to burn away and us to refocus and reclarify and repurify our lives in relationship to God. And so in a weird way, the hard things actually can oftentimes be the best things because they cause us to depend on God more. And that's what Peter says. He says, listen, this stuff that you're going through, it's going to cause you to depend on God more. It's going to cause you to trust in God more. It's going to create a more robust, pure, more genuine faith in you. And that should be a cause for celebration. And so don't try to avoid suffering. Don't bemoan suffering. Don't agonize over the difficulty that you face. Peter's saying, listen, rejoice in the suffering that you experience because it produces a more genuine faith. And so I wonder for us this morning, is that true of us? Has the last six months produced a more genuine faith? Has it caused us to depend on God more? Has it caused us to trust in God more? Or maybe do we need to reevaluate the way that we've lived these last six months. I think one of the interesting things about all of the adversity that we've faced is the things that we used to trust in that we can't trust in any longer, the things that have fallen away, the, the norms and kind of the routines of this life, the things that we thought would always be there. Some of them have fallen away. And for me, it's helped me recognize and remember that there are some pillars that exist in this world. And I think the strongest and greatest of all is, is Jesus Christ. I've seen that with so many of you, the way that you have doubled down on your faith, the way that you have committed to a deeper level of prayer, a deeper, deeper level of service to others, a deeper level of devotion, of scripture reading, of habit, of making God a priority and trying to do so with your family. This is exactly what Peter is describing. And so how do we go forward? What does this look like, not just for this moment, but for all future moments? Like, how can we make sure that we are prepared and we are made for any moment that we ever experience? This might be the worst thing that we ever go through. It also might not be. It might get worse before it gets better. I don't know. If I had a crystal ball, I'd look into it and I'd tell you, and I'd also win the lottery. I'd do all of those things, but I can't. And so how do we make sure that we live a life that ensures that we're made for this moment and for every moment and every difficulty that comes our way? Not so that we can avoid them, but so that we can make our way through them and come out better on the other side. Well, this is the instruction that Peter gives to these early Christians. In verse 13, he says this. He says, therefore, 
Prepare your minds for action. Get ready. Be alert. Then he says, discipline yourselves and set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he's revealed. Don't be conformed to your former desires, those that shaped you when you were ignorant, but as obedient children, you must be holy in every aspect of your lives, just as the one who called you is holy. For it is written, you will be holy because I am holy. So Peter's saying, listen, you have to come up with a game plan. Just like in the NBA, those players who are still in the playoffs, they have to double down on their skills and their habits and their discipline and their routine, making sure that they're ready for the games that they face because the stakes are increasing and getting greater and greater and greater. Peter's saying the same thing as you. You have to prepare yourself, prepare your mind for action. You have to recommit yourself to the discipline, to the discipline of praying, of scripture reading, of service and generosity, of living your life in the example of Jesus Christ. He also says you have to set your hope on Jesus Christ. And again, not on anything else in this world, not on any of the principalities or powers or anything that we can potentially place our hope and trust in, but on Jesus Christ. And then he ends and he says, and be holy in every aspect of your lives. That word holy means set apart, set for a purpose. In other words, made for this moment. Peter's saying, listen, the way that you can survive and navigate and come out shining on the other side of any adversity, any obstacle, any difficulty that you may experience the way that you can be sure that you're made for this moment and every moment in the future is to be holy, to set yourself apart, to live a different kind of life, to live a purer, more genuine life of faith. Now, what does that look like for you? What do you need to recommit to? What do you need to reinvest your time and effort in? What are the habits and the routines that you need to adopt? I know for me, the difference when I'm doing a good job of this and when I'm not is how much time I make early in the morning when I can be alone with God, when I can spend time in prayer and in scripture reading and in reflection, and just in silence listening to God. The mornings that I wake up and it's immediately into the routine and the go, go, go of all the things that I have to do, I miss that time. I miss that opportunity for connection. I have not set apart that time. I have not made those early hours in the morning, those early minutes in the morning holy. And because of that, it's harder for me to live a holy life. It's harder for me to live in the example of Jesus Christ. And I know everybody's life and schedule and routine and rhythm is different, but my question for you is, what parts of your life are holy? What what part of your calendar and your schedule, your family habits and routines, what part of that is holy? What part of that is set apart so that you can conform closer and more to the image of Jesus Christ? See, Peter says, when we do that, when we live holy, we're like 24 karat gold. It doesn't matter what the adversity is. It doesn't matter what the difficulty or the circumstance that we find ourselves in. No matter how hot the temperature gets in the crucible, we'll come through the other side. We'll be proved to be pure and genuine. We'll have a pure and genuine and 24 karat faith. Friends, we are made for this moment. I know that it has felt hard. And my guess will be that it will continue to feel hard in many ways. And at some point in the future, we'll all navigate something that will be hard again. But you can be made for this moment. You can place your hope in Jesus Christ. The hope that he has secured a life for you in this life and in the next. 
and that you can begin to live a holy life set apart and focused on imitating him. Our friends, you're made for this moment. My prayer would be that we would live in that way. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we are thankful for today for this reminder that you have made us for this moment, that you have called us to set ourselves apart, to live in your example. And for when we do so, God, we come through the other side of the crucible, proved as 24 karat gold. And just like 24 karat gold, God, when we live in your example, when we live holy and set apart, we shine and we radiate for all to see your goodness and glory and be drawn closer to you. And so God, that's my prayer for each one of us this morning, God, that you would help us to live a life that's holy, to place our hope in you and to live a life that brings you praise, honor, and glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, as we end our morning service, we do so each and every week in the same way. It's just a reminder that the word church is not about a building. It's not about a worship service, but it's the way that we all live our faith out in the world, that we live out our pure and genuine faith so that others can see God's goodness and be drawn closer to him. And so we end our service by saying some words together that I'll invite you to say with me right now out loud as a reminder and as a blessing of this truth. So let's say these words together. May the peace of Christ go with us wherever he may send us. May he guide us through the wilderness and protect us through the storm. May our lives be used to share the love that Christ has shown us. And may he gather us together once again into these doors. We love you. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.